One of my favorite ways to unwind is by playing a game on my phone while I relax on the couch. And June's Journey is my new favorite as it combines several of my favorite things, finding hidden items, decor and design, and solving a murder. In June's Journey, you dive into June's captivating quest to uncover a scandalous hidden family secret while discovering the truth behind the unexplained death of her sister. As you uncover clues, you also get to build your own island estate with expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. You get to collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. You get to chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. So can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. This episode contains adult themes and is not appropriate for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. They Will Kill, a true crime podcast. I'm Sadie Eck. And I'm Courtney Eck. And it's Courtney's night to tell y'all stories. Yeah, it sure as heck is. And this story was written by our darling Deli Mozingo, who I will forever be mad at for not submitting her own name to name time because it's the most best name. Such and the most bestest one. It's such a good story. And thank you so much, Deli, for writing it. Because you wrote it, Mama was able to go out on a boat yesterday like a wealthy person. And Mama rode a tube around and got slammed into her face and her sinuses were set. <laughs> on fire and today mamma is very sore and sunburned and it was worth every bit of my sunburn and every bit of my sore muscles but i would not have been able to go on the boat without the story deli so thank you so much so much it's also just a fabulous and truly her heinous and horrible story she did put a note in here that she relied heavily on a four-part series from the winston-salem journal by monte mitchell and richard gold and this is the opium murders. Mm. So before we start this story, it needs some important context. We're taking a brief field trip to the Southeast Asian country of Laos. It is a small rural country that's a little bit smaller than Texas. It's mountainous, heavily forested, and landlocked by Vietnam, Cambodia, and Thailand. Laos is one of the poorest countries in Asia and has a population of about 80% farmers. This is due in part to the United States' involvement in the Vietnam War. Why, why am I not surprised? No. If you're a Patreon supporter, you will remember that I covered the Hmong sleep paralysis deaths that also tie into this specific time in Laotian history. It's one of my favorite Patreon stories I've ever written, and it is a really horrible, horrible case of a bunch of Hmong men dying of sleep paralysis <laughs> after immigrating to the United States after the Vietnam War. It's terrible. Terrible. So in the 1950s, communist insurgents from North Vietnam started invading Laos. France provided aid to Laos and joined them in the fight, but they were eventually defeated. From about 1964 to 1973, the United States recruited certain tribes of Laotians to join them in the war effort, which would eventually become the largest covert operation in history. Mm -mm. Mm -hmm. Laos was and still is home to many ethnic groups, and all of these groups have their own languages, customs, and alliances. 
Two groups that the U.S. recruited during the Vietnam War were the Hmong and the Yumian. These groups lived in the hills of Laos and were close allies. Together, they helped the U.S. by staging guerrilla attacks on the communists' main supply route and providing intelligence to the CIA. During this time, though, the U.S. treated Laos recklessly. The military dropped over 270 million bombs on Laos, making it the most bombed country per capita on Earth, which I had no idea. Yeah, that's about one bomb every eight minutes. And the super fun part is that they all didn't explode on impact. Of course not. About one third of the bombs that were dropped are still lying in the ground today, just waiting to explode. In 1975, Laos fell to the communists and the hill tribes that had partnered with the U.S. were the first to be persecuted. Mm. Whole villages were tortured and killed, and tens of thousands of Laotians fled by crossing the Mekong River into Thailand on bamboo rafts. Many who tried crossing over into Thailand didn't make it, but the ones who did were sent to crowded refugee camps, and Brian Zayo and Lisa Fan. I also saw her name spelled Seifan, so I wanted mm-hmm. to acknowledge that. More commonly, I saw Fan, and that is how Delhi wrote it also. But they were two Mayan refugees who lived in one of these camps. Despite fleeing from the same persecution and living in the same refugee camp, they didn't actually meet until they had both immigrated to the United States. At a New I, Year's Eve. I, I, I'm sorry, that took me yeah. a minute. Yeah. So they, no, met, they didn't meet at the no. refugee camp, but they were at the same camp at the same time. That is correct. Wow. And then they immig- yes. both immigrated to the United States and then correct. they met later. Wow. They okay. met later. Yep. So they did meet at a New Year's Eve party in California in 1988, quickly fell in love and were married a year later. In that same year, Lisa gave birth to a baby girl named Melanie, and two years later, they had another baby girl named Pauline. They lived in California for about 10 years, where there was a large Southeast Asian population. At the time, California had the largest Mian population in the United States, but eventually, Brian and Lisa decided to move to a more rural and quiet area to raise their family. They set their sights on North Carolina, where the Hmong population was growing, In 1976, a North Carolina Catholic church quietly brought a Hmong refugee family to live in the Blue Ridge Mountains and surrounding foothills. I don't know a lot about what that story is, but I'm assuming in 1976, people in the Blue Ridge Mountains weren't like, yeah, bring some Asians here. I'm afraid that they wouldn't be super excited about it today either. No, no. absolutely not. So I think when Delhi says quietly brought the Hmong refugees, I think it was just Mm -hmm. exactly what it sounds like. Soon after, other churches did the same. Extended families followed the Hmong who were relocated there. And within a few generations, North Carolina became a safe haven for Southeast Asian refugees. Good. Many found the climate and terrain similar to Laos. And they continued their family's tradition of farming, which that gave me chills when I read yeah. that because it really does make sense that it's sort of that generally hot and mm-hmm. you know mild to hot and hilly and mm-hmm. green, mountainous. North Carolina is so beautiful. So beautiful. Other refugees worked in nearby textile mills and furniture factories. When Brian and Lisa settled into the small rural town of Conover, North Carolina, Brian made fast friends with his next-door neighbor, Mike Maikai, who was from Vietnam. 
Mike told the San Diego Tribune, quote, we talked about our lives, how things were so much better in America. We didn't have much when we moved here. We always talked about how we were able to buy homes and have nice things. Mm. I know. Brian found work at a paper mill operating a machine that makes cardboard boxes. He was well-liked there, always arriving on time for his shift and helping anyone he could. A co-worker later recalled, quote, he was hardworking. Nobody could say a bad word about him. Lisa was also hardworking. She worked the night shift at a chicken processing plant. Her friends said that it was hard work, but she did it to make a living. And their daughters were just as well-liked and hardworking as their parents. Mm. They were both popular and friendly. Pauline, the youngest, was called, quote, the kind of student teachers would love to have a classroom full of. Mm. Both Pauline and Melanie helped around the house, especially after Brian and Lisa became pregnant again in 2004. Brian was hoping to have a son as they played an important role in me and culture. Daughters are considered to belong to the family they marry into, while sons are responsible for performing ancestor worship rituals, such as presenting an offering to the family's ancestors, and these rituals are seen as essential for maintaining the family's lineage. Mm. Without a son to carry on the traditions, the family line dies. Brian got his wish in December 2004 when they had a baby boy named Cody. Mm. So fast forward to 2009... The oldest daughter, Melanie, was 20 years old and living at home while she went to school at the nearby Catalba Valley Community College. While she worked to complete her studies in health management, she also worked at AT AT&T and Kohl's and spent time with her boyfriend. Pauline was a senior in high school with dreams to become a teacher after graduation. I also saw that she worked at, I think it was Abercrombie Mm -hmm. or American Eagle, and she eventually wanted to move back to California. She wore large hoop earrings and braces in her senior portrait. <laughs> no, bring them back. Don't kill them. Please, everybody. Oh, God. So around 6.30 a.m. on the morning of Thursday, March 12, 2009, 44-year-old Brian left for work on time as usual. But as he reached up to press the garage door remote on his sun visor, he noticed it was missing. <gasps> fearing that someone was trying to break into their home he asked pauline to unplug their garage door opener system he then looked around the house before leaving but he didn't see anything else that was suspicious oh man once he felt confident that his home and family were secure he started the 30-minute commute to work around 7 a.m pauline's friend pulled into the driveway to give her a ride to school As she pulled in, she noticed a man she didn't recognize on the front porch. She said he was wearing a hooded sweatshirt and the hood pulled up over his head and he was wearing a backpack. Almost instantly, the man exited the porch and walked across the driveway toward the back of the house. As soon as the man disappeared around the side of the house, Pauline exited through the front door and got into her friend's car. Oh my God. As they pulled out of the driveway to go to school, Pauline's friend told her that she had just seen a strange man lurking on their front porch, who then disappeared around the side. Pauline was immediately concerned and called her sister Melanie, who was still at home. And get this, if you were ready to have a daytime nightmare. No. Melanie answered the phone by saying, don't come home. (gasps) Oh my God. No. Oh my God. Yeah. That's a real thing that happened. Oh, my God. Yep. 
Pauline, of course, didn't listen. Oh, my God. She asked her friend to take her back to the house despite being completely terrified by the situation. They arrived back at the house by 7.15 a.m., and Pauline, who was understandably too afraid to walk up to the house by herself, convinced her friend to go with her. No. And the friend's... Yeah. And the friend's brother remained in the car. Oh, my God. Pauline decided to knock on the door, and before she did, she heard someone crying inside. The friend, she and the friend heard someone crying inside. The man in the hooded sweatshirt opened the door, and before either of the girls could react, the man hit Pauline, stabbed her repeatedly, <gasps> dragged her inside of the home, and slammed the door. You are fucking kidding nope. me. Mm-mm. Broad daylight, 7 to 15 in the fucking morning. You just go to pick your friend up for school. Uh-uh. Ugh. Like, with a witness right there. Yep. Holy shit. We don't know where the mom is. Nope. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Deli? I blame you. (laughs) I know, yeah. You have to explain it to do Deli. What? Wow. What are you doing to these people? So Pauline's friend made it safely back to her car, and she pulled out of the driveway in a panic called 911 to report what had happened. Oh my God. I just, I hate, I'm not, oh, I just like call the police. I'm so, I, I know. know I'm not blaming. No, I just I wish we, let's rewind. That's the tape yeah. rewinding. Oh, please call yeah. police. Let yeah. them get, like answer the door. I know. And oh, I, I like, hate it. I found some blog threads about this and everybody was like, can oh, you imagine no. being the girl who had to live with this for the rest of her life or the little brother no who's like watching this all happen and just assuming your sister's about to get attacked and killed too oh my god well then even like that's so shocking that your brain can't even catch up with what's happening no you assume you're being like robbed you know some like punk kid is you know has got a hoodie on is wearing a backpack like your family's getting robbed your sister's trying to protect you and you're being tough i'm assuming pauline was like oh hell no i'm gonna go get that punk sure being completely unaware of the fact that she's dealing with like a serious a psychotic killer oh my god yeah i'm sick to my stomach that's awful So unfortunately, when the operator asked where the incident occurred, she didn't realize that she didn't know the address. Oh, God. So rather than leaving it up to the dispatcher to figure it out, this BFF of all BFFs drove back to the house to give the operator the address. Yeah. Oh, my God. Brave. So brave. Unfortunately, this delayed help for the family, and law enforcement didn't arrive at the house until 18 minutes after Pauline's friend first dialed 911. So when the officers entered the Zao home, they found a scene more gruesome than anyone could have ever imagined. The entire family had been brutally murdered, and officers found 40-year-old Lisa dead on the living room floor, having been shot and stabbed repeatedly. God. They found 4-year-old Cody lying next to his mother, and he had been shot while eating dry cereal. Oh, four. Yes. Quote, his fingers were still in the bowl. No. Officers made their way into the kitchen where they found 18-year-old Pauline on the kitchen floor. It was obvious to everyone on the scene that she had put up a fight with her attacker as she had 38 stab wounds, oh. many of which were on her arms and hands. Holy oh. shit. Yep. Officers finally, or officers, yep. finally officers found 20-year-old Melanie, who was still dressed in her nightgown on her bedroom floor. She had been hiding in her closet during her call with Pauline 
and had been shot in the face and arm, and her throat oh, had been God. slit. Yep. Nightmare. Nightmare. As investigators started arriving at the home, officers began securing the crime scene for processing. Right away, they noticed that there were no signs of forced entry. Officers speculated that the attacker entered through the back door since he was seen walking toward the back of the house right before the murders, but it was impossible to know for sure. It was clear, however, that the man either found an unlocked door, had a key, or was let inside. Mm. Officers canvassed the neighborhood to identify eyewitnesses and learned that the suspect had been seen in the neighborhood driving a dark-colored sedan with a partial plate, P-24, and he was described as Asian or Hispanic, male, and around 30 or 40 years old. Investigators continued combing the neighborhood, and by 10 a.m., they found the most crucial pieces of evidence two blocks from the scene, a handgun and a hunting knife. Lying under a line of shrubs in somebody's front yard. Yeah, that's what we do with our murder weapons. God, I know. Police assumed, of course, that they had been tossed by the suspect while fleeing the scene. Hold your shit together, man. Right. I mean, thank God, but it's dumb. Dumb. Yeah. It's not clear how or when investigators contacted Brian to notify him of the attack, but from all accounts, he was absolutely devastated. I can't imagine. That's no. I don't, there's no words. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. It's just like, there there need to be limits. Yes. (laughs) You know, there's karmic limits. Yes. Dear Mm -hmm. God and the universe. You made it out of Mm a refugee camp and to America and started a beautiful family and that's all. That's done. You did it. You did a good job. I'm so sorry for what you were put through by the United States and that should be the end of it. Yep. You don't get to have your entire family taken from you, all of them. Uh-uh. Brutally. Uh-uh. In an interview with the Associated Press, Brian said that his family was, quote, his whole life. He described how loving his daughters were and said the girls threw him a surprise party every year without fail <laughs> to the point where it was hardly a surprise anymore. Oh, God. He said that in the days before they were killed, they had been sneaking around all week to plan the surprise party. <laughs> Absolutely grief-stricken, Brian checked into a hotel while the family home was processed for evidence, but he couldn't imagine going back to an empty home where such a brutal, heinous attack occurred. I cannot either. People who have to stay in the home for all the various circumstances that you can't leave a home, that's... I'm so sorry for those people. Yeah, and then you learn that there isn't... You're responsible for the cleanup. Yes! Oh, God! Brian's friend and neighbor, Mike, told reporters Brian felt hopeless. Quote, right now he's trying to cope. He hasn't eaten anything. I told him, you have to eat. You have to fight. Please keep fighting. But he said to me, I don't need to be alive anymore. I don't need to live. No, I mean, mean, I'm I'm not condoning death by suicide, but like, no, Mm -mm. I understand those feelings, buddy. I do. I hope he was able to bring himself out of that, but I wouldn't blame him at all. And how, how, how do you do do that? Yeah. Where do you go from there? Oh my God. I have a deep, deep, deep well of faith of something or I, mm, I God, I can't imagine. No. Oh, my heart is broken for him shattered so the following morning the sheriff's office held a debriefing with the 30 investigators working on the case where they split up assignments and then got started for the day 
By that time, a composite sketch of the attacker had been released and investigators went door to door with the image, asking neighbors if they recognized the man. Some officers even stopped drivers in the neighborhood to show them the sketch. Throughout the day, they talked to more than 200 people, while another group of officers worked on identifying the owner of the handgun. Catawba, county sheriff, (laughs) told news. I'm so sorry if you live in Catawba (laughs) County. (laughs) Catawba. Catawba. That they were. Tell us. I mean, it's such a cute name. I hope I'm saying it's Catawba. It's really fun to say if it is. They told news outlets that they were also in the process of identifying two stolen vehicles that were found on the day of the murders. One had been found near the Tseo home. Another had been found near one of the girls' schools. And both of them were found with their engines running. The sheriff told reporters that they weren't sure just yet if the vehicles were related to the murders and said, quote, we're just grabbing at straws right now, but the information is coming in very good, both materially and verbally. Initially, investigators identified seven persons of interest, but the sheriff didn't mention any of them by name. Whoever murdered the family, he said, specifically targeted them and had detailed knowledge of each person's schedule. The sheriff did go out of his way to tell reporters that Brian was not a suspect. And it's not entirely clear why they ruled out Brian entirely at that point. But he was at work when the murders occurred. And he looked nothing like the composite sketch. Aside from that, he was really, truly, completely grief-stricken. Quote, He hardly eats and he shakes when he looks at the family photographs he carries while he stays in a hotel in nearby Hickory, Although he's been back to his home, he can't face the thought of going inside. I don't want to. I know I would break down and go crazy, he told the Associated Press. I want to bury my family. I don't know what I'm going to do after that. God, I mean, I want to break down and go crazy. Mm-hmm. I can't, I just, I will never get over this. Mm-mm. Deli, I can continue to blame you. I know. You're a bad person. <laughs> oh, I want to honor this family by telling their horrible story. <sighs> Okay, okay, yes, Fine. yes, no, Fine. that's what we do, it's that good. is important, but this is so sad. It's so sad, and daylight murder, you know how awful that is. Well, Ugh. and just having no idea, Mm-mm. who, why. So on the same day as the press conference, a vigil was also held for the family. Because they were Buddhist, members of the community constructed an altar for them. There are so many ways to celebrate life and honor the dead in Buddhism, so each community may have different customs, but generally speaking, altars play a large role in Buddhist funerals. Family and guests bring offerings of the deceased's favorite food, flowers, candles, incense, and sometimes money as a special way to honor them. These items are meant to to honor the spirit who is in the process of leaving the body, and many believe that the spirit will see the gifts and know that they were cherished. Candles and incense are burned to create a warm, pleasant environment for the spirit as it passes over. The family's friends and loved ones set up an altar on the front porch with cookies, candy, and incense. Someone left bottles of water along with four bowls containing rice, an egg, and a piece of meat. Another person left a bowl of fried fish at the end of the driveway. Mourners set up another small altar with photos of the family and handwritten messages for Lisa, Melanie, Pauline, and Cody. (laughs) It's going to make me cry. I know. Large colorful bouquets were left for them, and apple and cinnamon candles were lit and burned all night. Such a beautiful way of like... Yes, it really is. Very 
Very beautiful. Yep. So sad. Now I want meat and fishes and beautiful flowers and candles. candles. You know? Yes. It's so lovely. But just when the community started to come together to grieve, they were dealt another shocking blow. Brian admitted to investigators that there was something missing from the home, and that something was a package containing about $200,000 worth of opium. Mm-hmm. Oops-a-daisy. Whoopsie. The public would soon learn that Brian was involved in an opium smuggling operation, and investigators told reporters that Brian would receive opium in the mail from Thailand, convert it to heroin, and then send it with a family friend to Wisconsin where it would be sold for a profit. Oh, man. The media portrayed Brian as a key player in a heroin pipeline, but it was a bit more complicated than that. It always is. So opium is derived from a specific poppy plant that grows abundantly in Laos and is a narcotic that can be used to make morphine, codeine, heroin, and oxycodone. The term narcotic actually refers to opium and its derivatives, which are called opiates. Opium is also an integral part of Laotian culture. Mao Shang, an Hmong addiction therapist, gave a PBS presentation in 2008 where she explained that America has a limited view of opium, and when she was growing up in Laos in the 1960s, opium was as easily accessible as tobacco is in the United States and could be purchased at farmer's markets and in the streets. She said that while it seems like opium would be the drug of choice in, in Laos, that couldn't be further from the truth. Store-bought medicine was extremely hard to come by, so opium was used instead. Families typically had a small amount, about a pound, that they used for pain relief and childhood fevers. She drew a comparison between Laotian and Native American cultures, saying that opium is a medicine that is seen as spiritual and herbal. But, of course, there is a potential for addiction and abuse. Many Laotians who were injured in the United States secret war in Laos became dependent on opium, just as someone who receives opiates after surgery may become addicted. So it's not clear who in Thailand was sending opium to Brian, but when he received it, he would then mail small pieces about the size of a dime to an address in Wisconsin, where there was a large Southeast Asian population. Brian didn't have the equipment or knowledge to convert opium into heroin, and was simply making a small amount of money while hoping to gain respect as someone who could supply medicinal opium for people who shared his culture. Oh my God. Please don't tell me that he does. He goes to prison. You're just going to have to wait a little Corny. bit. But by the time investigators began correcting their portrait of Brian as a heroin dealer, it was already too late. Oh. So to be clear, Brian was not cooking heroin in his family home. He right. was doing something illegal. There's no doubt about it, but... Also within his culture. Like, within his culture. And if you listen, if you read up on the Hmong oh, yeah. um, sleep paralysis deaths, the prevailing theory as to why these men, hundreds of men all over the country, all around the same age, all at the same time, who had no connection to each other, died of sleep paralysis. And this is a fact. This isn't just like an urban legend. Like this right. actually happened. This woman has studied it for decades and she... All, all these people she's interviewed, she said that the reason she theorizes, and it's the strongest theory of why this happened, was because when they came to the United States and they had to abandon their cultures and they didn't have their shaman and they didn't have their traditions and they didn't have the time or the place or the materials to worship, that she believed they have part of their customs. This is the Hmong, not the Mian, but 
that they have a sleep paralysis demon that they believe in. And if they're not able to exercise that demon through their traditions, they believe they believed so strongly that this demon was going to get them that it did mm-hmm. because they were unable to worship the way they used to. Keep that in context. And Brian is somebody who wants to help his people continue to worship the way they worship and have the traditions the way they had the traditions back in Laos. So it makes fucking sense that totally. he would participate in this when it's dime size amounts going into Wisconsin to the old people or whoever up there needs it, you know? Mm -hmm. This episode is sponsored by Care Of. Care Of is a subscription service that ships high quality personalized vitamins, supplements, and powders conveniently to your door every month. As your needs and goals change, Care Of can help you adjust your routine to match. Their quiz can be retaken at any time to give you updated recommendations, and you can also adjust your habits and routine tracking in the app. Care Of's daily vitamin packs are made with plant-based compostable film to help limit the impact on the environment without compromising on the quality and safety of their products. We love the environment! Woohoo! We also love plant-based things. I'm a vegetarian! For real, you guys, I saw a video recently that was a doctor who was speaking about the majority of his patients when they talk about things they regret as they get older. The number one thing that they say isn't, I wish I'd spent more time with my family. (laughs) I wish I'd been more creative. It's, I wish I would have taken better care of my body. And for me, that's a wake up. I need to get out. I need to move my body and I need to give my body the things it needs care of has given us some of the tools to help us do that. Specifically lately, I've been worshiping their sleep blend. It is a blend of ashwagandha, valerian, and melatonin. And I've been sleeping like a little teeny tiny baby. You know what I really like is how their vitamins come packaged. I love it. Why is that so satisfying? I don't know. They come in this tower of individually packaged vitamins. I get the iron, the multivitamin, vitamin C, I don't have to think about it. I just rip open the package. Better. Good to go. And it's cute. Uh, As an Mm -hmm. aesthetically driven person, their packaging is adorable, and I don't get mad at it sitting on my counter. Not at all. So if you are also interested in investing in your body and your health and your future health, and for 50% off your first care of order, go to takecareof.com and enter code THEYWILL50. That's takecareof.com. Dot com and enter code they will 50 for 50% off your first care of order five zero. We cannot stress enough how much that means half off. <laughs> <laughs> Do it. You deserve it. So by the time investigators began correcting their portrait of Brian as a heroin dealer, it was already too late. Newspapers and television stations had already run with the story and it still remains uncorrected today. Mm. Quote, there was no heroin. There was no French connection operating out of Catawba County. Authorities will later say, referencing the famous pipeline that was the source of most of the heroin in the United States in the 1970s. Instead, there was a mom and pop opium operation here, low level, with bits of opium coming into the Zao house by mail. So Brian's best friend, Mike, was approached by reporters and told them that he had no idea about Brian's drug involvement. No one will be surprised that many people in the community turned on Brian and began blaming him for what had happened after learning of his involvement in the opium smuggling. Brian's nephew told reporters, quote, My uncle was always working late, taking care of his family. 
He never talked about drugs. I can't believe it. This was so unlike him. It just doesn't make any sense. How could someone so devoted to his family do this? Brian spoke with the Associated Press from his hotel room and said he regretted everything. Quote, it's something I should never have gotten involved in. It's so hard to live with this. Within a few days of the murders, Brian's involvement in drug smuggling had turned this case on its head. A few days later, the community would be shocked one last time. Officers traced the handgun found in the bushes near the home to a close friend of the family, 37-year-old Chu Sevong. Chu had immigrated to the United States from Thailand back in 1990, was of Thai and Chinese descent, but was adopted by a Mian family. Naturally, when he became a neighbor of the Zao family, they embraced him due to their shared culture. And although they weren't related, people in the local Asian community considered Brian to be Chu's uncle as Brian was seven years older and looked out for him in a fatherly way. Mm. Chu had spent time in prison for conspiracy to possess and distribute opium. And in 2004, police raided his home and a storage unit rented by his ex-wife. They confiscated a nine millimeter handgun and about 12 pounds of opium. It's unclear whether Chu was converting the opium into heroin or if he was distributing the opium to members of the Asian community. Either way, he served almost four years in federal prison and was released in November of 2007. Chu reached out to Brian for help getting back on his feet, and Chu lived with the family on and off for a few months. Brian's nephew recalls meeting him at a family picnic a few years before, saying, quote, he didn't seem threatening or nothing like that. He was kind of quiet and just kept to himself. Mike Mekai told reporters that Chu seemed like a good person. He had read up on Vietnam's history while in jail, which was Mike's home country, so the two had lengthy conversations about it. Mike said that he got the impression that Chu was a smart, quiet person. As far as anyone was aware, he had been living in Wisconsin for the previous four months or so, trying to start a new life with his girlfriend, Yur Yang. Chu had told people in Wisconsin that he was staying out of legal trouble because his probation was almost over and that he was happy. Hmm. So on Tuesday, March 17th, five days after the murders, the Catawba County Sheriff's Office filed warrants for the arrest of Chu and his girlfriend. But they learned that the two had fled the state and authorities Hmm. assumed that they were heading to California where Chu had previously lived. So he knew he would easily be able to disappear in the large Southeast Asian population. So their warrants weren't going to do them a lot of good. Mm-hmm. But then, just 23 hours after the couple hit the road, authorities sent out a nationwide bolo that specifically targeted I-70. They assumed he, they would be taking mm-hmm. I-70. And just seven minutes later... <laughs> I'm sorry. Yes. What? Seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven minutes later, a sheriff's deputy in Utah spotted Chu's car on a dark highway at 11.20 p.m. Yep. Seven? So they've been on the road... Minutes later. They had been on the road for 23 hours. They're like 1,600 miles away. Holy shit. And they said, Bolo. And some sheriff said, Gotcha. Bug, yeah. Seven. (laughs) I will never get over that. Seven minutes later. No. And if they hadn't figured out that they were, you know, they're like, we're here. Yep. How do you get to California from here? And I'm assuming they were going to. mm -hmm, Bingo, bango. Lesson learned, guys. Don't take I-70 if you're fleeing across the country to get away from mm-hmm. charges against you. Wow. What's the what's that old dead highway that dad always took, like 37 or whatever? Take <laughs> yeah, that one. Yeah, right? Yeah. So he followed the car for about nine miles and then flashed his lights for them to pull over. 
Chu slowed down for a second to indicate he was going to pull over, but then sideswiped another vehicle, veered off the road, drove up an embankment, and led the deputy on a chase through rocky terrain. Jesus. Yeah. Just like, see you later. He's like, okay, that's God. Yeah. Luckily, Chu only made it about a mile before the car came to an abrupt halt, at which time deputies approached the car and watched it as it went up in flames. Oh, no. Yep. Deputies pulled the couple out of the car, but they had both died from gunshot wounds. Oh, man. Or shot your and then shot himself mm. after the fact. It's too many, too many deaths. Uh-huh. Too much death. Mm-hmm. So any hope that Brian had for learning why his family was murdered died along with Chu and Yur in the Utah desert. So he just murdered the whole family for the mm-hmm. drugs. Mm-hmm. The baby. The yep. mom. Yep. He didn't wait for them to leave the house, Mm-mm. which I'm sure they would have all done eventually. Mm-hmm. He murdered them brutally. Mm-hmm. He yep. could have left the daughter on the porch. Yep. You're going to tell me more? Yeah, there's a little okay. more. Okay. Yeah. When officers searched Chu's vehicle and home, they didn't find the opium that was stolen from the Tzeo home, and it was never recovered. Mm-hmm. Rumors began circulating that Chu was seeking revenge against Brian. Chu had told a friend that he and Brian were best friends until Chu's 2004 arrest, and Chu suspected that Brian had been the one to turn him in, which was not true. Hmm. Authorities had intercepted a package from Thailand as it came through Los Angeles International Airport, and they randomly selected it for inspection. When they opened it, they found small pieces of opium hidden inside wooden duck decoys. Instead of sending it in for regular delivery, an officer personally delivered it to the address on the box. Chu opened the door, received the package, and was subsequently arrested. Mm. Brian played no part. Tell me again how long he was in prison. Uh, just under four years. Okay. Yep. So not nothing, but not Right. A just long, not long 20 time. years. Yeah. Brian had played no part in it whatsoever, though. In fact, authorities were quick to point out that everyone involved in the opium trade was under high scrutiny after the package was intercepted. So Brian would have been putting himself at risk by turning Chu in. And what doesn't seem like there would be any reason no. for him to do so. No. Unless Chu thought that Brian wanted it all to himself. Right. But it but doesn't like, seem like, you know, Brian wasn't running some multi-million dollar operation. And it was $200,000 of opium that was stolen? Yep. Okay. So many think that Chu was looking to steal the opium or drug money, but this doesn't explain why he would murder the entire family. The community believes that Chu was seeking revenge by killing Cody, Brian's only son, as the boy child in the family was the most culturally significant, and so killing him ensured that Brian's family line would die. When reporters asked Brian what he thinks the motive was, he said, I wish I knew. Yeah. Officers say that Chu's girlfriend, Yur, probably wasn't involved in the murders. Her family and friends agree. She had been divorced twice and was raising four kids. Mm. She struggled financially, living in subsidized housing in a poor part of town. People in her Hmong community loved her for her friendly, outgoing, and genuine spirit. When she started dating Chu, everyone was happy for her. She told friends that she was hopeful and in love and that she was going to get it right this time. She was planning to marry Chu. Mm. Her friends say that she was trying to help him get back on his feet and get his life together. No, no. 
On Wednesday, March 18th, six days after the murders, friends and family gathered to pay their last respects, and almost 600 people were in attendance. Wow. Brian's niece traveled from California to North Carolina to be with him, and she sat with him at the visitation. She told reporters, quote, it's incomprehensible that someone would do this, that this was done by someone of our own man culture adds to the disbelief. Many people at the visitation felt the same way. Several people there knew the family, Chu and Yur. None of them can believe that the family were murdered so viciously, that Chu was the one to commit such a heinous crime, or that he would take another person's life in the process of taking his own. Mm-hmm. Quote, Chu was a good person four or five years ago, and then something happened to him and he changed, said a family friend. When asked if Brian would be arrested for his part in, opi- in opium smuggling, the sheriff at the time responded, quote, he has four people to bury right now. Oh, God. Thank God. Unfortunately, though, Sadie. No. Unfortunately, the conservative white community largely felt like Brian had caused oh his God. family's deaths by oh engaging in the drug trade. And so there was a push for him to be formally charged, despite no. the fact that he had paid the ultimate oh. price by losing his entire fucking family. You are kidding me no. right now. Luckily, one little bit of luckily, federal investigators with the U.S. Attorney's Office agreed that he had been punished enough and declined to prosecute God. him. Quote, I think public perception is that it was his fault or that he had something to do with it, said a defense attorney. He's aware. He's just a man who lost all of his children Mm-mm. and his wife. Mm-mm. No, shame on those people. Shame, shame to the... Yep. Uh, you cannot have a heart in your soul if no. you think that he deserves more heart punishment. No. No. Like, well, how said, can you do that? Oh, no. my God. Like... <laughs> And my next sentence is, but local officers encouraged by community members with no souls. Yes, no hearts or souls. No hearts in their souls chose to prosecute. Quote, he should do jail time plus. Oh, my God. Said resident Margaret Piercy. I don't think the man suffered enough. No. What about the three children and his wife? They're the ones who don't have a life. Oh. Listen, Margaret Piercy, you're going to get a visit from me real soon, honey. I'm going to be slapping and kicking and punching and pinching you. You. Yeah. I. uh, God, Courtney, don't. I can't. Like, I know it. God fearing people or whatever they're going to say they are like shame on you. That shame is bullshit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm so mad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a real problem with all of that. And oh boy. I keep writing stories about it for my other podcast, specifically channeling and like mm-hmm. trying to purge myself of the insanity and the hypocrisy. Yes. Of yes. certain kinds of people. It's oh my God. psychotic to me psychotic that you would think mm-hmm. that this man deserves because he was smuggling a little bit of opium made a mistake and his family got involved because of the actions of this horrible person who he had been a father figure for Mm-mm. oh my god it's so cra- it does not make any sense to no. me and if he was a white man they would not feel that <sighs> way i am sure of it they would oh he you know he just yeah. got into a little drug trade and mm-hmm. he suffered enough like yeah, the, well, and I'm sure fucking Margaret Piercy's cousin Bobo fucking does meth or whatever, you know? Yeah, like, totally. oh, God. Oh, no, God. Ugh. Please, I can't deal with Ugh. it. 
Brian was charged with three felony counts regarding his possession and intent to distribute, but luckily he was sentenced only to six months of intensive probation, which sounds very similar to house arrest, followed by 24 months of supervised probation. Ugh, I just can't even. I know, I know. Brian moved in with a family friend in another county where he served his probation without incident. And I dug and dug and dug, and I'm sure Deli did too, to find any kind of update about him or quote or anything other than the fucking horribleness that is the story and this man's fate. But I couldn't find anything. Yeah. It seems like he has just probably does not want me looking into his life. And so no. I respect that, Brian. But you... Poor man, you do did not, do not deserve no. anything that happened to you at all. No. Uh, oh, God, at please, all. if there's anything we could do, I mm-hmm. my heart is broken. That's yeah. so sad. So sad. So sad. And good job, Deli, for uncovering this story. Oh, my God, seriously. It's not an easy one either. It's a, it's. I don't know if it's because she lives in the South, but I don't know how you came across this story. It is really hard. Like, there's a lot of articles, but there a lot. Most of them are the same articles, you know. Mm-hmm. And there's a few like random blog posts and stuff. I, this never would have come across my radar at all, and it is no. devastating wow. and complicated and sad and beautiful and heart wrenching. <sighs> I mean, I really don't know if I've ever felt so angry. Yeah, I felt some real anger there, you guys. No, oh my god, I know. As as like hard as it is to hear about false imprisonment, y'all know how I feel about that. Mm. Like this is, <sighs> well, it's just like the senseless to all of the degrees, and then yep. to just the layers of it is. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't like it. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Not a lot of redeeming qualities to no. this situation. Oh my god. Hopefully he's found love or a cat I know. or something, you know, a turtle. And maybe he's got an oxyodel or whatever those little cute little sea things are called. Yeah. A not. puffer fish. <laughs> Brian, would you like us to sponsor a puffer fish Please, for you? Anything. You can feed them little shrimps and they got their little chompy toofs and they're so cute and cheerful. No. I'm very securely on puffer fish TikTok right now and I love it. Wombat? Yeah. Yeah. Wombat. He needs wombat. a wombat. He does. We all need wombats. I definitely need a wombat, wombat right now. Well, yeah. good work, Deli. Good work, Courtney. Thank you for telling that story. Yeah, I thanks, Deli. I'm not going to get over it anytime soon. It's no. so sad. So sad. So spooky. Oh, God. So senseless. Oh, why? Why? I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Oh, man. Okay. I don't think we've ever needed name time more. I say this just about every time, but... Oh, I really need it. I really need it. I'm not doing well right at the moment. (laughs) No. Well, and I've got a really good list. I will say General Booty has come around. The college, the names of college football players has come back around recently. And you know how you hear a word and you want to say it out loud? And... DeColdis Crawford got stuck in my head the other morning. I was walking around the house just thinking over and over again, DeColdis Crawford, DeColdis Crawford. I just love the name DeColdis Crawford. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, Fish McWilliams. (laughs) (laughs) So good. I love you, Fish McWilliams. I love you, General Booty. I love you, DeColdis Crawford. I love all of you. Okay. 
There's a woman named Barbie Oppenheimer. <laughs> oh, there is not. Yes. Yep, she's been having a real weird summer. <laughs> yeah, she has. I just saw a TikTok yesterday. That the guy was like, um, excuse me to all of you who made me think that the Oppenheimer movie was somehow like Barbie movie. <laughs> I don't know how I, he got that impression, but he's like, I went in thinking it would be like quirky and fun and it was not oh at all. God. It was awful. No, so thank no, you for that. No, but like one of the worst people who's ever lived. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is... Somebody's family member, Audrey May Battle, <laughs> who was also in the military. Yes. Yes. So it's also, it's like Audrey May Battle and also Audrey May Battle. Mm-hmm. She you may or may not. Sure, see what happens. Mobility. Ugh. Rowdy Stop. beers. Oh, no. these are some more. Rowdy. Some new. Yep. These are some new college football player names mobility rowdy beers and tiger shanks (laughs) (laughs) this one thomas butt cavage that's not how it's pronounced but that's how it's spelled i'm sorry guys i'm getting over i have i've had this like weird tiny little cold that just lives in my lungs so i'm sorry for the coughs but say that again please Thomas Butkavage. I'm sure it's Butkavage. But, 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 Bukavage or something. You know, Bukavage. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Thomas Butkavage is how we're pronouncing That's amazing. it. Amazing. Amazing. If my name was, if it was actually like Bukave, or I would mm-hmm. be like, I'm Courtney Butkavage. Just that's. <laughs> That's what it is. Like I have, I have an ex with the last name Hubert. Her last name was Hubert, but it's actually Uber because it's French. But mm-hmm. she was. Herbert, like we all called her Herbert, but Cavage. Amazing. <laughs> I wish, I wish that was my last name. <laughs> um, nothing bunt cakes, uh-huh. is a pastry store. We've got one of those, I think that's what it's called. We have the bunt cake, bunt cake, palm shop pun. around here somewhere. Ugh. Yeah. Retired FBI special agent hostage nego- negotiator Mark Thundercloud. Yes. God, you like roll up and someone's sitting across from you inter- interrogating you and they have Thundercloud written on there. Mm-hmm. You're fucked, man. I would be like, well, this is not going to go my way. No, they're like, don't make us call an agent Thundercloud. And they're like, no. oh, shut up. And they're like, no, you bring out his birth certificate to prove exactly. it. Like, show you. Don't mess with them. Uh-huh. Exactly. <laughs> um, I had to stop, okay, because I found a TikTok. <laughs> oh, God, I love TikTok. Talking about how elementary school teachers have the craziest names. And he oh, was I like, saw that too. Yeah. Yeah. And he was like, Have you ever mm-hmm. met another person? I was like, No, no, mm-hmm. I've never mm-hmm. met another Mesnick. I've never met no. another, you Duckworth. know, it's like, I had a Mrs. Yes. Duckworth. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I went and the coffee. comments. This is coffee. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Mr. Appleton. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. all just like the craziest fucking Lesko. names. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So I went into the comment section and I finally, it was at bedtime because I do most of my TikToking right before bed because that's good for my brain. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Crumb Dick. <laughs> Mr. Wise and Mr. Wiser. Ugh. Mr. Fearbringer. No. Mrs. Brown hyphenated rice. 
Uh-uh. Mr. Shankburger. <laughs> Mr. Longnecker. Mm-mm. Sherry Cherry. Easter Lancaster, who went by Bunny Lancaster. Oh, my God. We had a Mr. Lancaster. We had a Mr. Lancaster, and he went by Mr. Lancaster, and he was very closeted homosexual. Oh, man, and so he much. made he was such a massive impression. I've told so this much. story before, but I need to... I need to memorialize Mr. Lancaster by saying that one of the most meaningful moments of my young life was when Mr. Lancaster was like, what does everybody want for Christmas this year? And he said, I personally have asked for an ostrich egg and a duck head umbrella. And I was like, oh my God, my God, sir. Oh my God. We do not deserve you. And we did not deserve him. We didn't. He had a a fancy house and we, Court and I grew up in a literal like four-way stop town. Less than a thousand people lived there. Oh, yeah. He lived in what seemed like a mansion, and I remember yeah. trick-or-treating there one year. And I think he lived near the elementary school. He did. And I have this vivid memory of him going up to his door to knock, and I thought he was like a million years old. He yeah. probably was in his 50s, but I thought he was like 90. He just seemed yeah. really old. He kind of acted like he was 90. He would really, he would go to the local library of public record films or whatever yes. and like would play us real to real movies about like sorghum for oh, real. God, yeah. that guy. Yeah. I haven't thought about yeah. him in so long, but he was shaped like an egg in yes. the best way. Yep. And he would wear like three piece suits yep. all the time with ascots or hankies and silk yes. it was i was just he i had never in my little tiny town life middle yeah. of indiana never met anybody like him and i was obsessed with him i loved Same. him Love. and i don't remember what he handed out but it was like fancy chocolates or yeah you know he was always so sweet oh hello at girls hello would at you like an espresso or, or yeah, yeah right <laughs> Yeah, oh, I loved him, and I was so curious about his life and who he was. Yeah, yeah, no, he's magical, Mr. Lancaster. If you listen to my other podcast, it's a horror podcast called "Please Leave." I wrote a story called "The Birds," mm. and there's a character in the story who's a small town gay, and it is my homage to Mr. Lancaster. We love you, Mr. Lancaster. I think he passed. R.I.P. You angel, the, our town did not deserve you. Our students no. did not deserve you, and no. they were not nice to you. And no. Thank you for maintaining your sparkle despite the hate and vitriol that was thrown at you at all times. Miss mm-hmm. Bumblebee, Mrs. Forehead, Miss <laughs> Bacon, Mrs. Oh Boss, Mr. Freeze, Mr. Moody, Mrs. Maker, Mrs. Peach, Mr. Cockle, Ms. Camera became Mrs. Pepper. No. As Ms. Camera. Oh my God. Mrs. Rainwater, Mrs. Pickle, Mrs. Frank, <laughs> F-R-O-N-K, Ms. Weast, Mrs. Choate, Ms. Pust, <laughs> Mrs. Sis, Mr. Jelly, Mr. Button, Mr. Mm-mm. and Mrs. Foot. I don't think they were married either. Or maybe they were. Coach Hardick, Mr. Roach, Mr. Go. No. <laughs> Someone wrote in all caps, Mrs. Staines told me bunnies don't go to heaven. <laughs> Mr. Dinger, Mrs. Muscleman, and Mrs. Frick. And wow. then I had to go to bed. Yeah, yes. man. That's incredible. <laughs> Mrs. Camera. Mrs. Ford. Someone's name was Mrs. Forehead. That's amazing. <laughs> Sing. Mr. and Mrs. Foot. Mr. and Mrs. Foot. 
Mrs. Staines told me bunnies don't go to heaven. <laughs> wow. Are teachers as weird as they were in the, like the 90s? Now? That is a great question. God, we had some weird teachers. Weird teachers, especially middle school. Elementary school teachers were 99% fucking Mrs. Honeys, you know, mm-hmm. from Matilda. Except for teachers. that really, really old mean one that everybody was so afraid of. Yeah. I did not get her. I, I got neither. I got all the lovely, beautiful ones. Mrs. Too. Gowen, who is like mm-hmm. blonde and gorgeous and soft-spoken and stuff. But yeah, we had weird-ass teachers, like with yeah. gun rifles on the wall and shit. Oh, yeah. The one with the curly mustache that actually PTSD. had a whip. What was his name? Mr. Uh, Lesko. No, Le- Leon. No. Mr. Mr. Leon. Leon. Yeah. He had a whip, and he would whip desks yes. to get your attention. And you could hear him screaming down the hallways, and for some reason... the administration of our middle school was like that is a perfectly fine thing for students who are trying to focus and had like antique rifles on the wall in the classroom yeah yeah Mm -hmm. i skipped him somehow because i'm terrible at math i got to skip to pre-algebra i got to skip seventh grade math and go straight to pre-algebra which i had to retake in college Mm -hmm. because i tested into pre-algebra in college and i had mr i can't remember no but he was the fucking cutest and funniest person and he God, would what was his name write on a um overhead projector. projector and i remember one time him him he i've i channel this man a lot and you all when i tell you what he said in this moment you'll be like yes that you are 100 percent channeling that man at all times he <laughs> would write all the problems on the dry erase uh, or on the overhead projector on these little plastic mm-hmm. slides that you could then erase, right? Mm-hmm. That was how we did things back then. And he, <laughs> he wrote it all down and he was done with a with the slide and it was time to erase the slide. And he looks at it for a second and goes, that is a really messy problem, ma'am. <laughs> it's like, oh my God. Was it Mr. Mathena? Maybe. Oh my God. I know there was a Mr. Mathena. I think it might have been him, but he was amazing. If you are yeah. listening and you are an educator, you are blowing minds open and like yes. you are making such an impression on children. You really are. And quiet, <laughs> curious ones. Course. Yeah. Like yeah. all of them. But I think, I, yeah, the teachers I can just pull up in my brain and, yeah. oh, you saved my life in a thousand ways. Seriously. Yeah. That's a really of, messy problem, mammal. <laughs> I saw a TikTok of an elementary or preschool teacher who brought out the old projector and was blowing the kids' minds. <laughs> Like blowing their minds, and she'd be like, "And now you, you can erase it." And they'd be like, "Oh, wow!" And they were trying to figure out how it worked. And oh yeah, those things are awesome. Now I don't want to hear about all your weird teachers. Who yes. were your weird, awesome teachers? Tell yes. us. Yes, throw some stories at us. Any Mister Lancasters? Any Mister Leones with rifles and whips? What the fuck? Yeah, screaming at top, at top volume. <sighs> he also had a specific rivalry with this kid in my school whose name I can't remember. It started um, with a Z. Anyway, there was a kiss the pig contest. <laughs> I don't remember what the contest was. Regardless, Mr. Leon was the one who was chosen to kiss the pig. And a person came out in a pig costume and took the hat off. And it was the kid that he was notori- like, <laughs> notorious enemies. And it was like... 
such a moment of triumphant bliss for yeah. everyone. <laughs> it was like the only time that our entire school and all the people and all the different types of people and like the hicks and the jocks and the stoners, we all came together in this moment and everything was okay in the world when Mr. <laughs> Leone had to kiss this kid on the like side of the head. Or something. Yeah, 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 exactly. And that was good. That was good. Indian mm-hmm. Creek High School. That was a good or middle school. That was um that was some fine work there. Yeah. Some fine irony or whatever. Right. <laughs> anyway. Yep. Well and I'm just thinking too, like a lot of our teachers and the male teachers at that time were Vietnam vets. Like oh, rife God. with PTSD and Ugh. So no wonder. Yeah. yeah. Fucking weird. What a complicated and weird and traumatic and traumatizing person. Yeah. So, no, anywho, fucked up. Okay. Um, speaking of things that are not fucked up, let's do some shouty yes. outies. I didn't do any last week, and some well, do it. Hopefully, somebody's gotten the name Forehead in this bunch because <sighs> all I want to do is say the word Forehead. Or Decoldus Crawford is Decoldus Crawford a Patreon supporter? Because I still want to say that name a bunch. Nope, none of okay. those yet. But we got some good ones as for you. Give me one. Lay one on me. Thank you. Oh, and for those of you who don't know, these oh, are yeah. Patreon supporters. And for as little as $5 a month, you get a whole other catalog of episodes. There's over 150. Mm-hmm. Do it or else. Or else. You won't regret it. Really, really great episodes every week. Yeah. Somehow yes. we continue every single week to put out full ass episodes over there as well. I think we're possessed by demons. I think so too. It's because buddies don't go to heaven. <laughs> we have to make up for that fact. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much to Leslie G. Leslie, g- 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 gonna gonna find a time to spend with you, Leslie. G- g- greatest one in the lineup of all the greats. Leslie's at the front, and I'm gonna spend some time with you. Leslie, glorious face and hair and ability to share. Leslie, giraffes cry when they see you because giraffes are the most unique animal of all the animals. Let's talk about how that's a true (laughs) fact. And even they think you are more unique and interesting than them. Leslie, gracious me, how can I say anything else about you? Because it is almost like trying to explain God. Leslie. Leslie. Thanks, Leslie. Thank you so much. Sorry that you had to bum out the giraffes, but, you know. Well, I mean, somebody's got to. Mm-hmm. There's other fuckers out there all so cute and weird mm-hmm. looking and... High and mighty and they're Magical. Us. Like, oh, we're the most interesting ones. Well, turns out you're not. Welcome mm-hmm. to meeting Leslie. Mm-hmm. So, idiots. <laughs> Just kidding. I love them so much. <laughs> Thank you so much to Macy S. Ah, oh, shit. Yeah, dude. God. Ah. Oh. Yeah, anytime someone's name's Macy, it's like I'm instantly transported to like a loft, you know, mm-hmm. in Berlin. Mm-hmm. And Macy's just like living there for the time being, you know, mm-hmm. in a in a cool way, not a pretentious way. You know when you meet those people 
there's two ways to, to be a, a, a Macy type person. Macy is never the type who's like, when you have the friend who wants to constantly figure out ways to talk about how they lived in Berlin, yes, you know, temporarily, Macy doesn't even fucking talk about it. Like Macy's the kind of person that you have to like drag out of Macy that mm-hmm. one time they were in a like cafe in fucking Lincoln, Nebraska and met a guy. And next thing they know they're in like some Sultan's palace and they went there to just braid the hair of the daughter, you know, <laughs> right? Of yeah, the you've known her for five years, and then she just briefly mentions yes. it. And you're like, "What? How did I yes. not know that?" Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she mentions it to you as she's like uh, brewing some sort of dessert that is in the rind of a lemon, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and she's just like, "Oh, do you have um sugar? Do you have this and that?" And you're like, oh, "I think so. Got a couple lemons." And you don't have a brulee torch, but she has a trick for that too. Mm-hmm. She can brulee without a brulee torch, and but like not, you know, it's just the next thing you know, and you're not even paying attention. But the next thing you know, she's handing you this brulee dessert in a lemon rind, and you're like, "Holy shit, Macy!" And then she's like, "Yeah, I learned this from uh, Will Ferrell." And you're like, "What? How did Will Ferrell teach you how to brulee in a fucking lemon?" You know? Yeah. Totally. But then also, like her, you know, mom was in the. CIA, mm-hmm. you know, and shit. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, fuck, Macy. That's Macy. <laughs> yes. Her dad's Brad Pitt, and you don't even know it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, real casually. Well, like, not even Brad Pitt's. Like, Brad Pitt's her uh, dad's cousin. Mm-hmm. But, oh, okay, this is Macy. I actually have a friend. I'm sure I've told this story on the podcast. Uh, my friend's mm, second cousin, un- uncle, once removed something, was fucking Jim motherfucking Henson. And she met him once. And in the one time she met him, she was young, like six. And Kermit the motherfucking frog sang her a lullaby. Mm -mm. Kermit the frog. No, no. It brings tears to my eyes even thinking about that. And that's Macy. (sighs) Macy had Kermit the frog sang Macy a fucking lullaby at some point in time. Help us all. Help us all. I don't know what you're doing right now, Macy, but I'm sure it involves like hand rolled cigarettes and a quilt that you got at a thrift store, but it's all, it's actually like priceless for some reason, but you use it as a picnic blanket. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Totally. Ugh. Thank you, Macy, so Thank much. Thank you so much. I want to be Macy. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> One more. Last um, but not right. certainly not least. Last but certainly not least, thank you so much to Andy A. Andy is the name of a lost, forgotten city in the sea. Andy legend has it that if you can find Andy, you will go blind with wonder. <laughs> Andy is where the gods and goddesses originated from and they went back inside and they are to hide from us mortals because we are too cruel and awkward but all of the things inside of Vandia are perfect and miraculous in their elemental truths they come together and hide inside of Vandia <laughs> protector of 
the infinite and the good and all the beauty. And Andia distributes it so slowly as to not let on that it's inside of them. And then the mortals will battle Andia. Ah! But Andia <laughs> is wise and patient. Andia knows not to waste it. You cannot let all that beauty and divinity out or we will. We are not worthy, Andia. <laughs> Thanks for um, protecting all the beauty and divinity, Andy. Yeah, that's a Heck really yeah, man. That's nice a thing job. for you to do. It's yeah. a really big job. And especially like that whole under the sea part. I don't know how you're managing that with all the other things you have to do, but thank you for hiding the gods in under the sea and also managing to support us on Patreon. We appreciate it. <laughs> you're a good multitasker. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and all of you, if you want to spend more time with us, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube at They Will Kill. You can go to our website, theywillkill.com, uh, and you can email <laughs> us at theywillkillpodcast at gmail.com. You can rate, review, and subscribe to us. Yes. Please do it. We love it. We really love it. Mm-hmm. We really, really, really love really it. We love it. And now um, that we're medicated, we don't even care about the bad ones no, as much. No, give it to us. As much. I mean, just yeah. Like, you know, it's, just it's not cool. It's not great. But we can handle it better yeah, than we used to be fine. able to. It's fine. <laughs> Thank you, AJ Bergens, for your music. Thank Kate, you. It's time to sue the twins. Great. Against twins. Um, Great. They're going to preschool for the first time in their lives, and mm-hmm. the outfits that their mother ch- picked for them. <laughs> Let me, I'm going to send it to you right now, Courtney. You're going to die of it. Well, good die thing I have it. a lawyer on retainer. These outfits, I'm going to sue them <laughs> for them. <laughs> You're going to get deposed, twins. You're going to get summons. You're going to get served. So hard. Oh God! I just got chills. Oh, those are so cute. Little so bows cute. I want and both strips of them. And stripes and yep. Little, She's like, uh, I don't usually like to match them. Why? Why? Every day. Every oh day. My God. Do yeah. it. God. Fuck their individual personalities. Seriously. So cute. So cute. <gasps> Dinosaur bags. Oh God. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So I cannot amazing. handle it. No, I can't either. So well, suing done. Good. Sorry about your they luck. Deserve it. Um. And remember, I uh, somebody posted this on Nextdoor yesterday, and I am so mystified. So if anybody has any insight, the whole po- post was, who knows what happened at Fuller House yesterday? Very strange notes on the windows. Ooh. <laughs> Mystery. Somebody, <laughs> yes. And somebody wrote, what's the Fuller House? And I am riveted. I will let you know if, I figure, if anyone figures out what is the Fuller House, what happened at the Fuller House, and why there were very strange notes on the window. I actually wrote it in my notes folder where I keep ideas for the horror podcast because mm-hmm. that is so such a strange thing to put on next door. That's very weird. You know? What, like, what's the backstory here? We're going to need a lot more information about what, what all this means, sir right? or ma'am. Yes. So I'll keep you posted. Okay. If anybody has any Please. insight, I don't creep. Weird. Gross. I was looking for an electrician uh, the other day and saw some low reviews on one, and I checked them out. And one person gave this poor electrician two stars and said, "Don't know yet. Haven't met them." <laughs> <laughs> Oh, good. Good. Thank you. Thank you, sir. 
I've never been to the damn Joy Joy Walk. Exactly. I barely drove past the place. Like you cannot be giving people two star reviews <laughs> if you have not used their services. <laughs> no, sir, that's not how this works. Oh Poor electrician. He's like, no, oh. two stars. Let's see. He's got, he's got to live up to these expectations yeah. I have. Holy wow. shit. Yep, never and never updated. Never been to the damn Joy Walk. Barely drove past the place. <laughs> we love you guys. We so love you much. so much. Thank you for being here. We will see you real soon. And goodbye. 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 Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.